Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it contains everything that we need. We thank you for the privilege of being able to, to, to join together and to explore your word together, to find out what your heart is for us, for the way that you want us to be. So we thank you for this opportunity. But Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you that we've been able to already for the time we've been together this morning to celebrate your grace, to reflect upon your grace, the fact that you've given everything where we were able to give nothing, that you paid the price that we couldn't pay. And help us, Lord, as we look into your words this time this morning. Help us, Holy Spirit, to hear what you want to say to us. We want to be changed, we want to be growing, we want to be maturing into the people that you've called us to be. This isn't just an activity of listening, it's about listening and doing. So would you come and work in each one of us, we pray. Holy Spirit, take what is good and what is true, and with that stay with us, and be planted in us, that it would produce such fruitfulness in our lives, and anything that's not of you, anything that's of me, that's not what you want, would it just fall away? that what we're left with is life-giving and fruitful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be back. Hopefully by now you've realised that we weren't here last week. Uh, we had a, a wonderful opportunity and a great time to, to join over in uh, Canterbury um, with a number of the churches in relational mission, particularly to catch up with uh, a number of, of the pioneers who are involved in, in planting churches into, into new cities and, uh, and into other countries. And it was great to hear from them. Uh, it was also great to hear from Mike Betts, who has the apostolic oversight of, of relational mission. A good opportunity for us there. It was, it was a really good time of celebration and, and fellowship and, and teaching and encouragement. And what we'll do, uh, I'm sure that there'll be videos that will be coming out over the next week or so. So if you weren't able to be there, I'll send you the links to those. And just to encourage you to, 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 to sit, uh, spend some time having a look at those and kind of catching up with, with what had been happening on. So last week was a little bit different uh, for us. And this week is going to be a little bit different for us as well. Because we're not picking up directly from where we left off a couple of weeks ago. We've been working through a series, uh, looking at the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians. We started that 30th of April, so right at the very end of April we started that. So uh, for a number of weeks now we've been working through there, and we're going to be coming back to that next week. We will be doing that. Luke's going to be uh, picking, us, picking us up and, and taking us on in that. Uh, but if you have looked at your notices... Uh, then you'll see on the front that actually the graphic that we would normally have for our Philippian series is not there. And in its place is another graphic that says the grace of giving. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. That's what we're going to be putting our attention and our focus on. You see, in, in planning our Philippian series, uh, which we'd entitled Joy, uh, we, we'd left this week deliberately for something else. We'd planned it around that. The reason why we've done that is we had one eye, Mike and I had one eye really on the gift day that we've got coming up on July the 2nd and we wanted to leave uh, this Sunday free to, to kind of have a think about what we might want to do, just aware that we've got this gift day coming up in a couple of weeks time. Uh, we thought we just wanted to give a bit of focus or a bit of thought into that. But actually what I've found when preparing for what I'm going to bring this morning, and preparing for, for what I've really felt God was highlighting to me to bring. I felt the focus is, is to be much wider 
than having a gift day solely in view. It's got to be much, much wider than that. So I want you to, to bear that in mind. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a bit as we go through. But if you've got your Bibles with you, if you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, it should be coming up on the screen as well at, at some point. Um, I did a bit of a last minute, <laughs> last minute job in giving you the verses that we're going to be working on. But if, you, if you've got a Bible with you and you're sitting next to someone who hasn't, please do be friendly and let them read with you. But while you're turning there, I just want to touch on three things quite quickly. One is about something that we've got coming up. Some, uh, the second thing is about something that I'd like to report back. And the third thing really is a story of something that's happened to me and my family within the last couple of months that I just wanted to, to share with you. The first thing I wanted to pick up is this, just to emphasize Mike's uh, notice about the family meeting that's coming up this Wednesday. We're going to be giving the feedback on the finances, particularly focusing on the, the year that's just ended, that ended at the end of April. It's important uh, that for you as a church, uh, you get to see where the money that you're giving is going to, the things that it gets spent on. We want there to be a, a real clarity there and an openness to be able to, to, to keep you aware of what's going on. I think it's important uh, in terms of the way that we steward the money that God has given us as a church. And at the meeting on Wednesday, we'll, we'll be given a little more information about the gift day, kind of what the thinking behind it is, uh, the reasons why we're doing it, and what the... What the, the what the, the giving there is going to be put towards. And we'll also talk a little bit more about the practical aspects uh, of how it will work itself out and that kind of thing. So please do come along. Um, as Mike said, it's not just going to be solely fo focused on finance. I know for some people thinking about talking about finances is not particularly a joyful thought, but it's very important that we do it actually. Um, and, uh, as a, and hopefully again, what we're going to be looking at today just really emphasizes why it's so important. Uh, that we do spend some time thinking about it. The second thing, so it's one thing, something coming up. The second thing is something to report back. At Christmas time, we gave to the Pathways from Poverty Appeal, uh, and which is run through relational mission. The, the funds that were raised there, the giving there was to go towards a community empowerment program in Kenya, looking to give an education to young men and women in Kenya. Really, I think with an, an awareness of wanting to steer them away from, or, or protecting a group that would be... Um, potentially vulnerable to extremism and being, being drawn into that. So it's about giving them an education and support. Uh, as a church, we gave uh, £1,030, over £1,030 to that. That's a huge amount of money. That's very, very generous uh, given there. As the, the appeal in total across the churches, there was over £50,000 raised. That's going to make a huge difference to that community and to a load of lives of young men and young women. But it got me thinking about the giving uh, that, we, that we've given ourselves to as a church, particularly with appeals that have come up for people who have been in need. Uh, and over the past six years, as a church, we've given over £10,000 to different appeals. <coughs> that is a huge amount of money. We've been involved with the Pathways from Poverty Appeal for a number of years. A couple of years back, we gave to the Refugee Appeal to give to the churches that were on the front line of that. We've given uh, to appeals for, uh, um, a ke uh, to Kenya in a time of famine. We've given to appeals um, to serve people in Romania or in Dagestan and Pakistan. We've done all of that over the last six years and over £10,000. The reason I want to say that is because I want to say thank you for your generosity. This is a lot of money that we're talking about here. And it's a real reflection of our heart as individuals and as a church 
and the way we want to bless people. Lives have been and will be changed through these gifts. Know that. There's purpose and significance to what we've been doing when we've been giving into those. So that's something to report back. And just very quickly, I want to share a story of something that happened to me and my family. I'll pick up on it a bit later on with what I want to share. But uh, in the middle of, of May, so just a few weeks back, me, Steph and Eva, we went on holiday. Something we've been hoping to do for a while. We are now three weeks uh, before our, our next child is due. And we felt that what we wanted to do as a family, we felt it important for us to get away while it was still the three of us very aware that things are going to change. Uh, and we thought, actually, for us as a family, it was important for us to get away. But we're in a place where we, as much as we were, were trying to, to, to kind of make something happen in that sense, we, we weren't able to do it for financial reasons. We weren't able to do it. But we went away because of a gift that someone gave to us in this church. You see, there's giving on a scale of something like Pathways from Poverty, where everyone knows what we're doing. And it's a thing, very corporate thing. But there's giving that goes on that you won't even know about. There's giving that will be going on in this church that I, I'm aware of some of it, but I know there's things going on that I don't even have the first clue what's happening. But it's wonderful. It's wonderful when people are blessed and people are served through the generosity and giving of others. So I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit of time. Hopefully by now you've found your way to 2 Corinthians in chapter 8. Let's start reading from the beginning there. So this is uh, Paul, who, who was, is the writer of Philippians that we've been working through. He also wrote this letter to the Corinthians. So from the start of chapter 8, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this, grace, in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And then let's jump to chapter 9, verse 6. Paul continues, he says that the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. 
Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now we have to understand the context that Paul's writing into here. Paul uh, had been urged to remember the poor. And I think with that kind of message stuck in his mind, he's been gathering a collection to give to the poor believers in Jerusalem. It's something that he's really wanting to, to do, something that he's really wanting to give himself to and, and encouraging the churches to get involved. And there's a number of churches that have been involved in this collection. Now, the Macedonian church that we read about, that Paul is drawing our attention to there in chapter 8, they're given into this collection. And Paul is sharing this with the church in Corinth. He's kind of holding them up as an example, as an encouragement, really, of what's been going on and, and presenting it to them. I think as a way of in, encouraging them when it comes to them get, uh, contributing to this gift as well. Now, we need to be aware, we must be aware that the giving in, this, in, this, in these passages, the giving that is taking place is to help the poor. But I think that it's helpful, these verses that we're looking at are helpful for us in understanding a healthy motivation for giving and a heart attitude towards giving, which is why I want to spend our time here, because I think it reveals a lot, actually, in terms of healthy motivations and healthy attitudes. But we have to remember the context of what it's being written in is it was for an appeal for the poor. So... Why I've said that we've got the gift day coming up and kind of that's what sparked the thinking about what we would do this morning. Actually, what I want to share this morning goes beyond that. It goes much further than just a specific gift day. I want us to think about motivation for giving, whether that is for a gift day, whether it's for regular giving into the work of the church, whether it's for collections for the poor, like we see here in this passage in Corinthians or like we've been involved with with pathways from poverty whether it's giving to one another in the church or looking beyond that even to give in to those outside of the church what I want us to think about is our motivation and we often I'm, I'm aware that we often speak about motivation I know when I, when I uh, speak and bring a sermon I speak about the motivation and heart attitude quite a bit the reason being is because it's possible to do things for a whole host of reasons it's possible to try and live a life that you think is pleasing to God or uh, live a life that fits with the, the image of what, what a Christian should be like. There's all sorts of reasons why you can do that. But actually, it's so important that we have the right heart attitude and we have the right motivation, that actually we're to be motivated by God, to be motivated by who he is and to be motivated by what he's done for us. And I hope that's what's going to come through today. Actually, in terms of our giving... We need to have a motivation that comes from when we look at who God is and for what he's done for us. Andrew Wilson, who you may be familiar with, he, um, he d uh, delivered a sermon on this passage. And he's, he says that the, the things he drew out, or one of the things he drew out, is that the motivation to give is not guilt, because guilt says, I must. He says it's not greed. Greed says, I want. He says, actually, the motivation to give is grace. It's a response to God's abundant grace towards you. And I'm going to take this, and really this is going to form the structure for the rest of the time we're going to spend this morning. I want us to think about grace. Then I want us to touch on guilt and greed and why they are not good motivations for giving. Then I want us to think finally about harvest, because it talks about harvest in this passage. So let's think about grace. 
2 Corinthians 8, the passage where we started, is full of the word grace. I think I've, I've read it somewhere where it says actually grace appears in this chapter more than it would appear in any other chapter in, in one place. It's just full of grace. Grace is a rich word. It speaks of loving kindness, of goodwill, showing favour to another that results in joy, pleasure and delight. And that's what Paul is bringing in to this conversation. And nowhere is the grace of God more fully expressed than in Jesus. It's what we've been singing about. This morning, that's what people have been praying out this morning. Jesus, who gave himself for us, that we would be reconciled to God and be brought into his family. It's really where grace is fully expressed in the person and the work of Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 9, that we just read, it says, and this is what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, he says, For you know the grace of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor. So that you, by his poverty, may become rich. He's drawing their attention to Jesus. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And what it cost for Jesus to go to the cross. Now for the past three weeks that we've been in our Philippians series. We've read the same verse, or the same collection of verses in chapter 2. I want us to head there again. So this is going to be for the fourth week in a row. We're going to be... Looking at these, but Philippians 2 6 to 8. Just want to refresh our minds of this because remember, this is speaking about Jesus. Paul says that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. That's what grace looks like for us because that's what it cost for Jesus in order for us to be reconciled to God Terry Virgo written a book called God's Lavish Grace it's an excellent book if you want to gain a really a, an understanding of what grace is and he says that the grace that Jesus demonstrated on the cross wins our hearts the one who was rich beyond all telling all for love's sake became poor he did not give out of his treasures but he gave himself to the point where he had nowhere to lay his head. Laying aside his heavenly glory, he took on human form and he humbled himself even to the cross. And he continues, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus comes setting us free. The price that he paid changes all our false values and it wins our hearts. The thing that really struck me reading that is that Jesus, he says he didn't just give out of his treasures. He didn't just give out of something he had available to him to pay the price that needed to be paid. It's not that he just gave something of what he had. He gave everything of himself entirely. That's what grace looks like. That's what Paul's reminding the church of when he's talking about Jesus. He's like, look at what Jesus has done for you. That's what grace looks like. And Paul uses the Macedonian church as an example to those at Corinth. Remember, he's using them as an example. He's holding them up. The, an example about the sacrificial giving that had taken place there. But he doesn't start by talking about their giving. That's not his starting point. What he speaks of first, he speaks of the grace of God which has been given among the churches in Macedonia. That's his starting point. His starting point is grace. What comes before the giving? What comes before the wealth of generosity that's overflowed out of the church is the grace of God that's been given to them. John Stott, 
he, uh, read something that he had written on these verses. He says that, in other words, behind the generosity, generosity of Macedonia, Paul saw the generosity of God. That's what was behind it all. It's the generosity of God. And he goes on to say that Christian generosity is fundamentally an outflow of the generosity of God. It's a response that we make because of what God has done for us. Therefore, our lives are affected in a way that what God has done for us overflows in the way that we live our lives. We reflect what God has done for us in the way that we live. To follow Jesus means to be generous. The New Testament is full of exhortations to be generous. We're to be generous in our time. We're to be generous in our relationships. We're to be generous in our gifting. Making use of them. We're to be generous in our skills. But we're to be generous in our finances as well. But remember, that all comes with behind the generosity that we show lies the generosity that God has shown to us. In verse 5, Paul says something that I think is really helpful for us. He, he says of the Macedonians, he says that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They were giving themselves to the mission. They were giving themselves to the, to the apostles and to the team that were there and to the, the service that they were doing. They gave themselves to that. But that wasn't where they gave themselves first. Where did they give themselves first? To God. They gave themselves first to God and then by the will of God to Paul and the other guys there. Their response to God's grace was absolute devotion to God. They gave everything of themselves to him, making it all available to him. A few weeks ago, we were, again in our Philippians series, we were thinking about obedience, what it means to grow and become more like Jesus. See some people nodding, it's good. It went in. And so we think about obedience, what it means to be more like Jesus. And there were some questions that I'd had for myself as I was preparing that week that I shared with you to be thinking about. And the questions, a lot of them revolved around the thought of whether we were giving everything to God or whether there are areas of our lives that we were holding back and keeping to ourselves or keeping God at a distance from. But actually, for the Macedonian church, they gave themselves, they gave themselves first to God and then to other, to other things. So that question again comes up. A little while ago, Steph came home, it's probably a year or so ago, Steph came home with uh, something that she'd been given by the police for, that they were handing out to people. And what it was, I don't know if, if you have these, but they're called card, def- card defenders. So you put your, your credit cards or debit cards or whatever in them and put them in your wallet. The reason they were giving them out was because now with contactless technology, people can get a card reader, or people were doing this, getting card readers and going up behind people and putting it on their pockets and taking money out of their wallets, stealing by using that technology. And the point of these card defenders is that once it's in there, it's made of a material that means that the, the um, technology won't work. So it actually stops, it forms a barrier to stop people from being able to take it. Um, and so we, we've got one of these and it came to my mind, this came to mind when I was thinking about this morning. You see, when Paul speaks of giving ourselves to God first, he's talking about giving everything. He's not talking about keeping certain areas where we keep our lives to ourselves. And we, we can, 
whether we mean to or not, whether it's deliberate or not, we, with many areas of our lives, including our finance, it's like we can almost set up that card defender where we say to God, God, you can have all of this, but actually I'm not going to give you everything. I'm going to keep this to myself. And there's a potential that we can do that with our finances as well. Where we can say, actually, God, you can have everything up here, but actually I'm going to put my finances in this card defender. This is mine. This is for me to do what I want with. But actually, we need to have an attitude of, just as Christ gave everything from us, so every area of our lives, whatever that looks like, and however it's worked out, actually, should be lived out and and handled and managed as a response to what Jesus has done for us. Again, that's what Paul's drawing our attention back to. Grace brings freedom. I think we were singing about that, that freedom that we have in Jesus. Grace brings freedom. It brings freedom to trust God and it brings freedom to entrust yourselves to him. And that means everything of you to him. It's no surprise really that Paul uses the Macedonians as an example. Because I think they really got it when it came to that uh, connection really or relationship between grace and giving. They just seem to have really got it. And he's holding the church up as an example. This... And this was a church who were afflicted. We're told that they were in poverty. They were in trouble. But in the midst of that, it also says there was an abundance of joy and an overflow of generosity. Because that's what Jesus had done for them. It's that word joy coming up again. So even though we're not looking at Philippians today, joy is still following us around, isn't it? But that's what the church were experiencing. To be motivated to give by grace is to respond to God's abundant grace towards you. Going to do a bit of a spoiler alert when it comes to the end of the meeting. We're going to end the meeting by breaking bread because actually I want our attention to go back to what Jesus has done for us and who, who he is and what he's done. And we're also going to sing a hymn which by personal request of me I've asked if we can sing And Can It Be? I think it's just a wonderful hymn that just speaks of the grace of Jesus over our lives so just so you know that's where we're going and I want to say that now because actually I want whatever else comes out this morning I want us to have that thing in mind we're talking here about grace and how we respond in grace Steph and I we were on a drive the other day with Eva it was fairly late in the evening the purpose of this drive was to get Eva to fall asleep in the car uh, it didn't work <laughs> but it was actually it, it turned out to be quite helpful because we were driving around um, all around the countryside where I used to live and I, don't, I hope I wasn't boring Steph but I was telling her about how everything's changed and what was here and what was there and the kind of things we used to get up to and uh, we, we grew up on a fruit farm and it's pretty much unrecognisable now they've knocked out all of the, the, the trees that divided all the fields up into separate fields and if you look there's just the acres and acres uh, of the same crop but it's all getting ready to be harvested and I felt actually it's very timely as I prepared for today because Paul, when he's talking within the context of giving, he speaks about sowing, he speaks about reaping, and he speaks about harvest. He uses that as a picture of what it is to give financially. And there's a few things for us to consider. When you, uh, the first one is this, is that when you sow, you're not losing what you had. What you're doing is that you're committing it to a process. There's a crop to come in the future. So it's like actually you're committing what you have to a process that something is going to result from it. It's not just that we we lose what we've got. 
So sowing is not to represent loss. It's helpful for us to, to bear in mind when we're thinking about giving. Giving, in the context of grace-fueled giving, is not about loss. It's about entrusting it to a process. That fruit is going to come from it. What you harvest may also look different to what you planted. Yes, we invest financially, but the harvest is not necessarily going to look like more money. It might be. But actually, what it's producing, the harvest is, is, is very varied, and we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Another thing for us to think is that when you plant seed, you're entrusting that life will come, that a harvest will be produced. You cannot make crops grow. You're entrusting it. You entrust it to God. And likewise, when we give, we're entrusting what we have to the grace of God with an expectation that he will take it and he will, he will multiply it and use it. And that there'll be a harvest that comes from it. Paul also says uh, about how if you, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Actually, you see that's true. When looking at the field, they, the, with these acres of field, you think actually they would have sown um, sown bountifully for that crop and actually I think there's a thing about generosity in that God actually takes generosity and he will multiply it and produce something far greater actually than what we've invested into it these are things that just for us to bear in mind so we want to be people that give from grace however that works its way out however that looks, whatever context what we don't want to do is to be motivated by guilt Guilt can be a motivator to give, but it's a really bad motivator to give. We can feel that it's a bad thing to have stuff. Particularly when we look and we see people that have less than us. We can see people in situations where they have very little. Actually, we can feel guilty for having things. And that can be a motivator to give things away, because we feel guilty for having too much thing about that is if we give in this way what it's doing it's like sowing seed for the purpose of getting rid of seed that's not why you sow is it you don't sow just to get rid of something you have you sow because actually you're investing in that process that something is going to be produced out of it we sow because we want a crop we want it to be used and to be, be fruitful so we don't want to give out of a sense of it's bad to have things that's not a helpful place to be. So we need to guard against that. Guilt can also be a motivator if we feel we're being pressured, forced or guilted into giving. This can happen. What I would hate today is because I've stood up here and spoken to you about giving is that you feel uh, almost under, Paul speaks about it, almost under a compulsion like you're being forced to give. That is not a motivation for giving. And I would hate it if people walk out feeling pressured or forced or coerced into something because that's not what I'm trying to get across I'm saying this is about the grace of God that reflects itself in all of our lifestyle including through our finances don't give just because someone is twisting you into it or coercing you into it Paul says in verse, chapter 9 verse 7 he says that each one must give as he's decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver God's interested in your attitude 
of how you are given, probably more so than what you're actually given itself. It's about the way that we're given it. We don't do it because, uh, because we're reluctant or because we feel under compulsion to do it. We don't give with reluctance in our hearts or because we feel like we ought to. There's no joy to be found in that, is there? There's no joy to be found in that. It's not compatible with being a cheerful giver. Have you ever known guilt or greed to, to go hand in hand with joy? I never have. If ever I've felt guilty about something, or if ever I've recognised that I'm being greedy about something, I've never experienced joy going with that. Another, another verse that might help us here. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3 says, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. Again, it's possible. And again, the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is not just talking about, it talks about a lot of other things that we can do with the wrong motivation, but it does pick up on about giving and giving away of our, of, of our possessions and our finance and that kind of stuff. It's possible even to give everything away, but still not to have gained anything because you've done it from the wrong place. He says, actually, we need to do it from a, from a place of, of, of love. It's not guilt. It's not pressure. We can also feel guilty if we compare what we have and what we feel able to give if we compare that with other people and what we see other people doing. Uh, or we might also feel guilty because what we feel we're able to give doesn't match up with what we think others' expectations of us would be. Chapter 8, verse 12, this passage in 2 Corinthians says, For if, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Paul does not want to pressure people to give what they do not have or to give what they could not afford to give. We need to be wise stewards of what God has for us. We do. We're not to be irresponsible or reckless. We're to be wise, wise stewards. So don't feel guilty that you think, oh, I'm not able to give much, I need to, to give more, or I'm not giving what I should. It's not about that. What I will say this, whatever you have, however much, may I encourage you to bring it to God in prayer, offer him what you have, and let him speak to you about what he wants you to do with his money, or with the money that he's entrusted to you, with your finance. Offer him what you have. Paul says that... Just going back to that verse I just read, Paul says this. He, he talks about if the readiness is there. That's what Paul's drawing his attention to. Is the readiness there? Is the readiness there to say to God, look, all I have is, is yours anyway. Show me what to do with it. So we can do it from guilt. Let's touch on, on greed. So where guilt says I must, greed says I want. Where guilt is not a good motivation for giving, Greed, likewise, is not a good motivation for giving. The reason why I'm mentioning this, and I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this, but is that some of these verses in, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 9 have been abused by some. Uh, you may have heard of uh, the prosperity gospel. Um, that, that's been taught. It's kind of prevalent, fairly prevalent, I would say, uh, with a lot of the television evangelists. They will say they will use these verses, and they will say something like, if you give to my ministry or if you give to this thing that we're doing then God will give it back to you and even more so there's a teaching that goes and this is really where it's come from 
there's that thinking of you give a gift and it will be multiplied back to you. And that is not what Paul is talking about here. We are not to give out of a sense of greed. I'm going to give because I want more back for myself. I've heard the prosperity gospel or that sort of thinking as being described as seeing God as a slot machine. I'm just going to put in what I've got and see what I can get out. That is not the, the way to view God. What I'm not saying is that God doesn't work that way. In that I know of, of, I've heard of stories, and I know of situations where people have given and God has actually blessed them by giving it back and sometimes by giving them more than they gave in the first place. That does happen. I'm not saying God doesn't do it. He does. But I also know plenty of situations where that doesn't happen. So as you give, do you know what? God might give it back to you. He may give you money. But that's not why you give. You give it to God and you leave it with him. And if he decides to do that, then that's amazing and that's wonderful. But that's for him to decide, not for us. That shouldn't be our motivation. Verse 11 of chapter 9 actually promises that you, you'll be enriched in, in every way. So actually, the, the purpose of generosity and the purpose of giving is that we would be enriched in every way. It's much broader. And the reason why we'll be enriched in every way? To be generous in every way. Can you see that? As we give, we'll be enriched. Why? Not so we can keep it all to ourselves, but actually so that we can be even more generous than we were in the first place. It's not about what can I gather for myself. It's like, actually, God, if you're going to bless me, we see you'll be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. It's about growing in that. So it's possible to be motivated by guilt. It's possible to be motivated by greed. We are not to, we, we are to do everything we can to avoid those. We want to be those that give because of grace. And there's this harvest. What is this harvest that God will produce? Even just picking out from those verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This harvest looks like righteousness. It looks like gospel advance. It looks like glory to God. And it looks like the poor being looked after. That's what the harvest looks like. Where we've sown, that's what the harvest looks like. The goal, really, of giving, we find in verse 8, where it says that God is able to make all great grace abound to you, so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God will provide everything that we need. Again, this isn't just solely about finance. God will give everything that we need in order that we may abound in good works. That's, the, that's what we're really what we're looking for. That's what the goal of this is all about. And I think there are lots of different types of harvest. It might look like different things for different people in different situations. Verse 10 says that he will increase your harvest of righteousness. Verse 11 says you will be enriched in every way, resulting in thanksgiving to God. Verse 11, there'll be an even greater ability to be generous. Verse 12, supplying the needs of the saints, and again, over, which then overflows into thanks to God. Verse 13, that God will be glorified. And verse 14, says that they will long for you and pray for you because of the grace of God upon you. These are all kind of results in that sense. This is what the harvest looks like that Paul's outpouring. Can you see it? It looks like many different things. 
just want to show very quickly, Hugh, can we have the other video up? This is just a little feedback from Pathways from Poverty Appeal. So I haven't told you and thanked you for what you've given. It's, um, there's a, a video to go with this. Just a little bit. I need to apologise. That was actually the wrong video that I sent through, but it does exactly what I wanted it to do anyway. Because actually, it shows you what your giving went towards. The harvest of the pathways from poverty appeal. Seeing what, as you've sown into that, men and women and children's lives have been changed. There are people who have their own businesses now that didn't have them before. They have hope. There are now with what's going to be happening with the, the money from the appeal that we've just just done there's going to be young men and women who have an education that are going to be kept away from extremism that's what the harvest looks like as well the harvest of our giving looks like i just want to very quickly just go back to the story i shared at the beginning about the gift that was given to me to me and steph just when thinking about what the harvest could look like of our giving See, just to put it in the, really in the context of exactly how it happened, we'd been talking about wanting this holiday for a while, not being able to, we weren't in a place to afford it. Steph had looked up the holidays and she'd found what we wanted to do, but we weren't able to do it. And this one morning, we were actually walking on our way to an event that was going on, a church, a thing that church people were going to be at. And as we were walking there, uh, we were talking about it and we said, look, if this is going to happen, God's going to have to provide the money from somewhere. And Steph said that, she said, I've got to a point now where if it's going to happen, I'd recognise it's got to be God doing something. So this was as we were walking to this thing and we said, okay, we're kind of settled. If it's going to happen, then it's got to be God that does something. When, while we were at this, this thing that we're, we're church folk were there, so this was within a couple of hours of us having this conversation, someone came up to me with an envelope and said, I feel God's told me to give this to you with the words for saying it's for something specific. And as soon as it handed over, I was like, I know, I know what this is going to be. And inside was a check that enabled us to go away on our holiday, which we wouldn't have been able to before. The harvest of that person's obedience to God and in giving generously to us in that way, the harvest was that, it was a harvest in that we were able to go away and we were able to have our time and to have our holiday. But immediately, as soon as I told Steph what had happened, we just gave thanks to God because he had heard, he knew what we, the place we were in and he'd heard it. And so I, when Paul's talking about the results of the harvest resulting in overflowing in thanks to God, I get that because I've experienced that for myself. I just gave thanks to God. It also has just really reinforced to us and helped to strengthen our trust in God, knowing that he hears, knowing that he knows what's going on and knowing that we can entrust ourselves to him. See, the harvest of our giving can look like many different things. That's just a few examples of that. So we, when I'm thinking about giving, we give not because of guilt or greed, not under compulsion or reluctance, but we give because of the grace, because of the abundant, lavish grace that God has shown to us. I'm aware of where we are with the time now, but I'd love for us to take communion together just to reinforce that it, it, everything that I've been speaking about this morning comes back to, to the person of Jesus and, and what he's done 
on the cross for us. So if the team can come up, the, the, the worship team can come up and they'll lead us in a song and we'll, we'll take communion together and we'll see how we're going. Might even squeeze the, the hymn in there as well. But shall we stand? Let's get ourselves ready. Well, get the bread and the wine prepared and uh, let's just focus ourselves. Get ready.